On this Jubilee weekend, it would be amiss of me before we get into our message not to just um, to make mention of our Queen. You know, I was reading on the internet some interesting things about her, and Ian Bradley, in his book, God Save the Queen, the Spiritual Heart of Monarchy, says this of our Queen. It would be hard to think of any head of state in the world who has more consistently and faithfully embodied the principle of selflessness and sacrificial devotion to duty, guided by a firm conviction in her calling and anointing by God. She has represented and articulated the spiritual feelings of the people in the most solemn and consecrated moments of our nation's life. I think, although I obviously and many of us have never met the Queen personally, if you've listened to any of her broadcasts at Christmas, if you managed to stay awake after the heaviness of the turkey and all the food, and many years I have not. However, one thing you'll find is that she always puts the gospel, and particularly scripture, at the center of her message. And I think it's good for us to give thanks for 60 years of her reign and the service that she has given to this nation. And how I think, as I said, she is sought through her Christmas messages and through her life to live out and express her Christian faith. So before we kind of get into the message, I think it would be good for us to just pray uh, for the Queen and for obviously the royal family, uh, particularly over this time and weekend. Father, we want to thank you for our Queen. Your word says that we should pray for those in all who have, for all those who have rule and authority over us, that we might live a good and peaceable life. And we thank you for our Queen. We thank you for her faith, we thank you for her faithfulness, we thank you for her sense of duty, and we thank you for the wisdom that she has imparted to many leaders throughout the years. And we pray that on this, her jubilee, that you will bless her with your presence, with your peace, with your love, with that you would increase her wisdom and insight as she gives counsel and uses her influence positively. And we ask you as a nation that this may be something that draws us together as we celebrate Queen Elizabeth's Jubilee. We pray your blessing will be upon her and upon us as a nation. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now we're going to carry on with our series on heroes. Uh, this week, we're going to consider uh, two women who in the eyes of the ancient world would have been seen as weak and insignificant. However, these heroes we're gonna consider are Deborah and Jael. Now you never heard, you may not have heard of Jael, but we're gonna just look at these two women and see how God used them to be heroes. Now, let's give you a bit of background. We're gonna go down to the book of Judges. Now, if you know anything about the history of Israel, as you know, they went, were 70 in, 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 well, we'll say 70 in Canaan, and then under Jacob they went down into Egypt, and from that 70 they became a mighty nation. Then you know they were oppressed by the Egyptians, and then God sent Moses and brought them out by a mighty hand. And then they got to the borders of Canaan, and in fact they turned back, and then God took them back for another 40 years and killed off that generation and took them in under the leadership of Joshua. And Joshua conquered the land to the east and the west. And by the time we get to Joshua 13, the Lord says to Joshua, you are advanced and old in age. And I kind of thought to myself, well, that wasn't very nice. Because <laughs> it says, you are old 
and advanced in age, and there is much land to be possessed. So I don't know if he was blessed by that. But anyway, they took over what was Canaan, and the whole generation that knew Joshua and the mighty things that God had done died out. And by the time we get to Judges, there's a generation that doesn't remember or know anything about what God did over all those years. And as I said, there's a, there's a sermon in that because it seems that the baton of leadership was not passed on to the next generation. Anyway, Moses warned them in Deuteronomy in his swan song that if you do not obey the voice of the Lord, then all the diseases that came upon is, on the Egyptians will come upon you and the Lord will be your enemy, blah, blah, blah. Okay? Well, the blah's not in there, but that's my interpretation, right? And what actually happened was the children of Israel slowly but surely began to move away from the Lord and become idolatrous. In fact, some of the nations that they didn't overtake or didn't destroy became a sneer to them and they began to worship their gods. When this happened, there was spiritual decline and then God actually raised up oppressors against them to ultimately bring them back to him. So we're going to just pick it up here from Judges, uh, Judges 4 and 1 and 3. After Elad died, who was a judge, the Israelites once again did evil in the eyes of the Lord. So the Lord sold them into the hands of Jabin, a king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazir. The commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in that place. <laughs> because he had 900 chariots and had cruelly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years. They cried to the Lord for help. Now, if you read the Old Testament, you'll kind of see how the Israel, children of Israel were like full on for God, and then they were off, then they were idolatrous, and then the Lord sent an oppressor. Now, the purpose of the oppression was not to get, was to get Israel to cry to God, it wasn't to tell them off. Hmm. You know something, in our lives, God often uses difficulty and discomfort to bring us to our senses. Because you see, God has what I call a ways and means committee. What God, God will speak to you conceptually about something that you should do. And if you do not respond, then he arranges circumstances to get your attention. It's called a ways and means committee. So he can't get your attention, he says, call the ways and means committee for this person. Let us see what ways and means we can find to get their attention. My dad used to put it to me like this, Jamaican. He said, if you don't hear, you must feel. <laughs> if you don't hear, you must feel. Yeah, yeah. but I'm still getting ministry for some of that. <laughs> yeah. So if we don't hear, then God allows circumstances to come upon us which gets our attention so ultimately he can bring us back to where he wants us to be. Either way, he's going to get you. <laughs> so, was, was how, so how does God respond to their cry? Well, Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapetes, was leading Israel at that time. She held court under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the Israelites came to her to have their disputes decided. 
She went to Barak, son of Abion, from Kadesh in Naphtali, and said to him, The Lord, the God of Israel, commands you, Go, take your 10,000 men of Naphtali and Zebulun and lead the way to Mount Tabor. I will lure Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his troops to the Kishon River and give them into your hands. So God decides to speak through a woman, Deborah, who's the prophetess, leader, and judge in Israel. This is most significant because I was reading through the scriptures, I realized this is the first woman of influence and leadership that has prominence in Israel. Now, how did Barak respond to her prophetic word? Barak said to her, if you go with me, I will go, but if you don't go with me, I won't go. He was afraid to go on his own. He said, but he said Deborah, hold my hand, go with me. <laughs> How did Deborah respond? Very well, Deborah said, I will go with you, but because of the way you are going about this, the honor will not be yours. For the Lord will hand Sisera over to a woman. So Deborah went with Barak to Kadesh. To the thing about Deborah is that she demonstrated her faith and trust in God's word. Now, as I was thinking about this, the scripture came to my mind, Hebrews 11.1. 1. Now, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. You see... Everything in our lives starts with a revelation. You see, if, when, not if, when you become a follower of Jesus, you look to the cross where Jesus died for you and you put your faith that it, the work that he has done on that cross in dying for your sin, and when you put your faith in that, you are saved from your sin, your sins are forgiven and you have a new life. He who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. And when you put your faith in that work, then you are saved. And that's an act of faith in something that happened 2,000 years ago, which is still effectual for you today. But it doesn't just stop with that. As you begin to live your Christian life, you have to live by that same faith. And God always speaks this is how it always speaks to you first, and then you have to step out. This is how it works. God, in his mind, sees something. He speaks into being the things that are not, although they already exist. Faith is having unshakable confidence in something God has said, though it has not yet come to pass. That's how it works. Now, some of us don't like that because we need to feel it first. <laughs> no, it don't work like that. You have to have unshakable confidence in something God has said, even though it has not yet come to pass. Consider Abraham. Abraham, God said to him, you're gonna have a son. And he went, okay. His wife was laughing because she says, I am old. Am I to no pleasure with my Lord after all these years? That's what it says. Hello. <laughs> there was no IVF then. They had to go to the bed, right? And then what the scripture tells us in Romans chapter four, 
And verse 20, a commentary on that, it says, considering the promise of God, Abraham staggered not. Now, that's not true, because you know that Ishmael was a result of him not listening to God and listening to his wife. However, the scripture is wonderful. But it says, he grew strong in faith, being fully persuaded that what God had said, he was also able to perform. See, it always starts with God speaking something to us, and we have to do this. We have to step up and step out. See, Barak did not trust in the Lord. He wanted to lean on Deborah. And some of us are like that. We don't want to go through the process. We want to lean on our husband or lean on this person. No, no, no. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. I just say this. My job disappeared, boof, about 18 months ago. I was in the staff meeting. And Fliss just brought a prophetic word. And it was this word. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding and he will make your path straight. Also, she gave Isaiah 55, 8. My ways are not where your ways, says the Lord, so high as heaven the earth, so my ways are not your ways. So God was saying to me, I need to trust him with all my heart and not lean on my understanding to try and work it all out. Now, that, this is not passivity, by the way. I needed to get to God and say, well, Lord, you're shutting a door. You're bringing me into transition. What do you want to do with me? You know, the natural is, well, you need to get a job. Well, of course, yes, we know we need to get, but I need to do the thing that God wants me to do because he knew my heart. He knew I wanted to do more than what I was doing. So he arranged things, ways and means, and shut that door firm. And I needed to know where he'd have me go next. And for some of us, we, we, many of us, not some, many of us, transition has just taken place. The first thing to do is that we need to... Trust in the Lord with all our heart and not lean on our own understanding. When we trust in the Lord with all our heart, then what happens? We grow in our relationship with God and God honors our faith. Now, he may not honor it the way that you might think. You're going to earn more money. because Sometimes he does that. But he puts you in a place in your life where you know you're doing the thing that God has called you to do and even though it doesn't pay as much money, you know you're right in the center of his will. And you're available for him to be used, to be used by him. So what happened next? Well, they told Sisera that Barak, son of Abban, had gone up to Mount Tebor. Sisera gathers together his 900 chariots, and by the way, iron chariots are like, you know, they're like tanks. You know, 10,000 men against 900 chariots, no chance. So the, the, the odds don't look great. And all the men went up with him to, Kish, to the Kishon River. Then Deborah said to Barak, go, this is the day the Lord has given Sisera into your hands. Has not the Lord gone ahead of you? So Barak went up to Mount Tibor, followed by 10,000 men, and at Barak's advance, the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and the army by the sword. And Sisera abandoned his chariot and fled on foot. He legged it. But Barak pursued, I'll just keep your attention. Barak pursued the chariots and army as far as were that place. And all the troops of Sisera fell by the sword and not a man was left. The Lord brought to pass what he had declared through Deborah. 
and used her to encourage Barak and routed Sisera and his army. Now, you know, the, here's the point I'd like to make. The prophetic is so important in the church. And we find we have some, you know, some prophetic ladies, ladies who are very prophetic in the church. And when the church encourages the prophetic and encourages women and doesn't you know, look down on them. I remember I used to be at a church where you know, a couple of women started to prophesy and the pastor was cha-ching, cha-ching, and that killed prophecy. The friends, we need prophecy in the church. And we need to hear the prophetic voice of God and we need to encourage it because it helps us. Those of us who are seeking God, trying to hear his direction, we need to hear the prophetic words so that it resonates with what God is doing in us so that we know we're going in the right direction. Yeah, very encouraging. You know, from Chris and Fliss and from Tim, when we hear a prophetic word, it resonates in our spirit because as we're trying to hear God, we hear from the body. As the prophetic word comes, that gives us direction so we can be effective in the ministry and service as we seek to extend God's kingdom into this community. So, that was great. However, there's a postscript to the story. Sisera, as you know, was legging it. And he fled to this tent of a tent maker named Joel. And he says, I am thirsty, I am hungry. She says, come, here is my tent. She says, can I have a place to rest? She said, here is the bed. Can I have some water? Here is some milk. Oh, 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 I'm tired. She said, here is a cover, rest. (laughs) Oh, comfortable. And he's there, oh, this is good. She leaves the tent. She goes and she gets a tent peg and a mallet. And while he's resting and pushing out zeds, (laughs) she comes into the tent. She puts the tent peg on his temple and smashes it through. You all said, that's not nice. Here's the point. God uses someone insignificant, someone weak, someone despised. And what you need to understand is that women didn't have a great standing in the ancient world. Story of Lot. Lot is being delivered from Sodom, and God sends some deliverers down there, and the men of the city hear that there's some new men in town. So they come down to Lot's house to have relationships with them. I don't need to be too graphic. And you know what Lot says? Lot says, here are my two daughters who have not known men. You can despise them or do what you want with them, but don't touch these men, which tells you what they think about women. But here is this insignificant woman that God uses to destroy a king. You know, God loves to use the insignificant, the weak, the despised, to shame the wise and the strong. Paul put it like this in 1 Corinthians 2, 26 and 28. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were. You were not called. Many of you were not called. Many of you were wise, not wise by human standards. Not many influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chooses the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify 
the things that are. That's how he works. So why, what made Deborah a hero? Well, she responded to the call to lead, or God to lead. She did not consider her position as in a patriarchal society as an excuse not to respond to the call of God. And some of you, you know God's calling you to do stuff, but you won't do it because you are feeling so broken. I'm not good enough. My past, that doesn't have nothing to do with it. You know, God really got upset with Moses. When God came to Moses and said to him, I want you to go back and speak to people. He was so broken, he says, I can't do it. And God says, who gives man's mouth the ability to speak? And in the end, you almost, if you read it, I think it's Exodus 3 or 4, God gets upset with him. He just says, look, go. And I'll give your brother Aaron the opportunity to speak. And some of you, God is getting upset with you because you keep telling him, no, I can't go because... She demonstrated courage that called for Baruch. Some of you need to demonstrate courage. And make a call. Or speak to someone. She demonstrated an unshakable confidence in what God has said. So what makes us heroes? When we respond in obedience to what God is saying to us and we step up and step out. And stepping up, maybe you need to make a call about something that's been going on in your life and you haven't had the courage to speak to someone about it because you're afraid that you're going to be t- because of the shame. I remember I had some stuff going on in my life and I rang Linda, you know, said, look, I really need help with this. And she said to me, bless your heart. I was like, oh, this is a strange response. <laughs> because what she was acknowledging was the courage to make the call. For some of us, we've got stuff going on and we're afraid to make the call or we're afraid to, to, to make, become vulnerable and transparent and just speak to someone because we're afraid of what they will think. But when you do make the call, you're a hero. because you've faced your fear. When we choose to trust God rather than depend on our own understanding and resources. Friends, many of us have lost jobs. I was only talking to someone this morning, person just came back from their trips, job gone. They were in shock. And you know, it's in those moments that we need to ask God, Lord, what would you have me do next? You see, for me, I didn't want to give the, the retirement years of my life to serve God, having given me the best years of my life to some corporation. I wanted to give my best years to God. So when that happened to me, I sought God. I said, Lord, what do you do? My wife was like, blah, blah, blah. I said, look, what is it, Lord, that you want me to do? This is transition time. And we all need resources and the world's resources whether it be financial or other are in a mess however we know one whose resources are unlimited and when we choose to trust him and when we choose to look to him he can provide for us in a way that is beyond our understanding and he doesn't always do it the way that we would try to work it out logically plausibly rationally cognitively 
He does it his way, and the goal is that he wants to work in you more so than, in fact, how am I put it this way? God is more concerned about what is happening in you than what is happening to you. Remember, God said that to me. I'm more concerned about what's happening in you, Dennis, than what's happening to you. I want to go deep as well as wide. When we take courage and drive the tent pegs through the fears, lies, shame we live under, and step into the light and get real with God and get real with each other. Or as John put it, 1 John, it says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. James 5, 16 says, confess your sins one to another that you may be healed. That's what we're talking about here. When you do that, you're a hero. And when you continue to do that, you're a hero. Give the band up. We're there. So this morning, should we stand? Yo, band. What is it that God's speaking to you about? That you know he's been on your case for, for a long time, and he wants to, you to take courage and step up. It may be you just need to make confession of something to God and to someone that you could be prayed for and released. It could be now that God is transitioning you into a new phase in your life. Your job has disappeared and you're in shock, but yet God has a plan. You remember what Joseph said at the end of his life to his brothers? He said, brothers, get pleasant shoes for me. Your brothers, he said, you meant this for evil, but God meant this for good to bring about this present result. And for some of you, God is transitioning you, moving you into a new thing, moving you into a new level of dependency on him. And this is a time for you to step up and step out. (coughs) Father, we just bless you and praise you that, Lord, you are working in our lives for good, that you are working to bring us to that place where we can all be heroes as we respond in faith to the things that you are speaking to us about. Give us courage that we can step up. Give us courage that we can step out. Help us, Lord, to hear your voice, that we may grow in faith, that we may take root downward and bear fruit upward, that our fruit may remain. Bless your name, Lord. Amen.